Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. From the Financial Times, this is hard currency. If you started the week getting excited or even nervous about potential big moves in sterling or the dollar or the euro, you are probably ending it thinking there was a lot of fuss in foreign exchange over nothing. I mean, the euro went into and out of a European Central Bank meeting where it was, the dollar had a brief rally before slipping back, and the pound, probably the most volatile currency anywhere right now, couldn't catch a break, but at least stabilised. So, is this the calm before a very big storm, or is some of the risk in the market coming off. I'm Roger Blitz and a very warm welcome to Hard Currency, which is the Financial Times Weekly podcast on all things FX. Joining me to discuss tranquil times and moments of mayhem is Simon Derrick, Head of Currency Strategy at BNY Mellon. Simon, let's go into this ECB meeting because it is fresh in our minds at the moment. What did you make of what Mr Draghi did not say? <laughs> well, I think you're absolutely spot on is what he didn't say. The reason why ECB meetings matter is if you look over the course of the last 12 months, two of the three largest spikes you've seen in overnight volatility in euro dollar have come back on the back of ECB meetings. Yes. So they matter. They're, they're like the new non-farm payrolls, mm. Dave, if you like. And I think that Mr. Drog is very, very well aware that there is an intense focus on what they do next. Are they going to continue QE beyond the March of next year? Are they going to possibly change the rules a little bit? And his number one job today was to say absolutely nothing at all. Well, he did that last meeting when he said very little and he repeated the uh, a formal statement from the July meeting and he actually the statement is the same for the third time running. But what he did say was December is going to be the key one. And I wonder if you agree with me that this sounds very similar to last December when the ECB and policymakers were walking up to some very big announcements and Draghi ended up saying nothing and the euro shifted 2% as a result. Well, that's actually the interesting bit about this. I think they are extremely mindful of what happened last December and the way the market over-anticipated what the ECB was going to do. And I think that's why when you listen to Mr Draghi today in the Q&A session, when he started discussing whether or not they'd talked about tapering, whether they'd talked about an end of the programme, whether they'd talked about all those different things, he just said, we haven't discussed it. And I think the whole point of that was to just give the market nothing to hang on to. Bar one simple thing, which is he came out and said, well, actually, when it comes to the QE programme, it's unlikely that it would end abruptly. abruptly yeah. And therefore, you could. You could look at that and say, even if the programme was formally going to come to an end in March, and that was when the full programme was going to end, it wouldn't end then. It would taper out for a fair yes. way longer than that. Now, I personally think that they will continue a lot further out than that. But by very nature of saying look, we wouldn't do anything to upset the market. I think he was trying to just give that slight hint of dovishness. And, of course, the euro came back off again on the back of those. Comments. It did. And, of course, if we are to compare the Decembers of ECB meetings 2015 to 2016, the other thing about last December was the importance 
of the forthcoming U.S. rate hike, which, of course, the ECB was very interested in waiting for, or at least anticipating. And, of course, the same is happening this time round. Not only the prospects of a rate hike, but obviously the U.S. election. Once we get past November the 8th, we then actually have an exact month before the ECB meeting of December the 8th. So that's going to be weighing in so, his mind. So isn't there it? is an old sense of deja vu here. Groundhog year. Groundhog <laughs> year, Simon. And of course, the thing you have to remember is through November and December last year, the dollar started to appreciate. Mm. And I think there is a risk that that's exactly what happens this time around. It's interesting because obviously this time we have a specific date from which we can start to look at things a little more clearly, and that is post-November 8th. Mm. We get the election out of the way. We know who is going to be the winner of that president of the US. Then we can get to start thinking about more clearly what the Fed's going to do. Interesting thing is, I think the market's already starting to make that leap. If you looked at the presidential debate this week, they, the, the feeling was that Hillary Clinton had been the very clear winner of that. Certainly some of the post-debate polls indicated that. And what was really fascinating was the FX markets didn't move. Mm. And this was a huge shift to what we'd seen at the, during the first debate when Hillary Clinton was perceived to have won it and the Mexican peso moved, the yen moved, the Canadian dollar moved. So by not moving on the third presidential debate, that really suggested that the Clinton victory is now being priced in by the market. And therefore, if you're looking for a possible shock, November 8th could provide it. But assuming that it would be a Hillary Clinton victory, which, based on the current numbers, looks looks like the most likely outcome. I think Fed rate hike, ECB continuing to give a fairly dovish signal, I think they'll move beyond 20, to March of next year. Yeah. I think that that actually starts to add in downward pressure for the euro and actually starts to bring up increased volatility. And certainly we saw, saw towards the end of the last week the market seemed to be willing to give the dollar some momentum. True, it wasn't maintained during this week, but the end of the kind of correction, we had the dollar bull run for about two years, then it started to correct at the beginning of this year, and it feels like, do you agree, that, that actually that correction is over and the market is willing to get behind the I, dollar I, again? I think it is, but I, I think that one of the things that really matters here is actually what else is there? We have the great uncertainties around the, the United Kingdom, which is obviously weighed on sterling heavily. We have the great uncertainties around Europe and what's going to happen with monetary policy. And this astonishing monetary policy of negative interest rates and buying bonds in negative yields. We have the what happens next for Japan's story and the, the key problems that Shinzo Abe is facing with policy there. All of a sudden, the US, once we get past the November 8th date, looks like a real haven. And I think that, as much as anything else, is going to be the driver for the dollar. How the Fed responds to that in 2017, because mm. they're not particularly happy about a strong dollar, could be the interesting one. But I think they're going to have a fight on their hands. How has dollar yen been trading this week? Well, that's kind of a, that's an interesting one. If you look actually the performance of dollar yen over the last month, right. it's actually had a lot less to do with monetary policy and a lot more to do with actually the spreads in the polls in the US. If you look, every time that um, Donald Trump was doing particularly well against Hillary Clinton, dollar yen went down. But as soon as the, the spread started to move the other way and Clinton got a clear lead, 
dollar yen moves steadily higher. And I think one of the reasons for that was if you read through what Donald Trump had said over the course last 12 months or so, there was an awful lot of comments about China and Japan and calling them currency manipulators. It sounded an awful lot like an old-fashioned currency war starting to build if he had come in, or yes. if he were he to come to be president. And I think that the reduced likelihood of that is actually taking a degree of the pressure off the yen, at least for the moment. Let's talk about our favourite or non-favourite subject, depending on your point of view, the, the pound. It's always my favourite subject. <laughs> what on earth happened this week, Simon? I mean, a, a lawyer stands up in the High Court about the, the case involving the challenger over Article 50 and whether Theresa May needs to give Parliament a say. He seems to say that it's likely that Parliament needs some kind of a say or a vote, and the pound moves 1% higher. I mean, that is a remarkably volatile reaction, isn't it? Well, it depends. Depends. If you take sterling over the last six months, that's possibly one of the most benign moves you've seen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be fair. This is a currency that moved, moved 8 or 9% in the too twilight true. hours too and true. on fair absolutely enough. nothing at all. Who cares about um, 1% move? Yeah. Move on. Um, but, <laughs> but, but I do think that what you actually did see in sterling this week was against the dollar a degree of stability. And I think that was fascinating to me. But it does feel very fragile, it has mm. to be said. You know, even that 123 we've struggled to cling on to. The modest gains that sterling was making against the euro on the back of higher yields already starting to fade. And you feel that right now the reality is this is a market that does not know what happens over the next two years. That uncertainty obviously is going to feed through to investment decisions and I think that degree of concern that's been expressed in underlying asset markets and the gilt market in particular, mm. I think, is mm. a, a great bellwether of what's going on. I think that continues to weigh on sterling into fairness. Key thing is, what could they do about it, even if they didn't like sterling weakness? Uh, did they, well, are they going to hike rates? Probably not. Yeah. Do they really want to go back to intervention? got 170 odd billion dollars worth of foreign exchange reserves which is a lot but do you really want to start throwing a gat against the market in its current condition possibly not so i think that the best thing they can that the authorities here in the uk can do is smile sweetly and allow sterling to do what it needs to do i mean how long can the fx market be uncertain about uncertainty it seems to be every iteration by politician X or policymaker Y is going to create this opportunity for, for volatility in the pound. But at some point, the market is going to say, come on, this is ridiculous. We can't carry on like this. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I think that what you can do is you, you can look back in history and you can look at the performance of the pound. And you know, there's plenty of studies that will take you back to what happened in the early 30s or 1949 or 1967. But let's look at, you know, post Bretton Woods era. And basically, when sterling falls or, or when there's a, a substantial shift in the economic situation for the UK, sterling typically makes a radical move to find a new equilibrium. More often over time, it's been down rather than up. You know, we're down over eight, well over 80% against the yen since 1971. But if you look at the performance of sterling since the summer against the dollar and you compare it to the other big downtrends you've seen since 1971, the start of those big downtrends, actually it's pretty well and much in line with what you've seen. Certainly it compares to 1975, it compares to what happened back in 1992, it compares to what happened in 2008. 
this is a pretty typical sterling downtrend. What you normally find is it takes about six months to work its way through at least the first leg. It's usually 20 to 30%. Guess what? That's exactly what's happening now. I don't think there's anything terribly surprising about it. It also gives you a time frame to when we get to these new equilibrium levels. And yeah, it's a mugs game to try and guess what those are. But finger in the wind, if it's somewhere between 110 and 120, would you be that surprised? Probably not. Yeah. Just to talk about time frame, just finally, Simon. I mean, the market must be looking towards the end of the year and be thinking big moments coming up. US election next month, the central banks in December, Italian constitutional referendum on December the 4th. Is this going to therefore lead to a, at least the next couple of weeks being fairly benign and assuming a Clinton victory going to see something of a, a relief rally or a positive rally? I think the idea that we could have a late October that, that's relatively calm, again, that's actually pretty well and much in memory says, right, what happened this time last year? Right, yes, so, I think it's Right, yeah. yeah, so I think that that idea I, I wouldn't have any great disagreement with. And I mean, and to come back to Sterling's performance, there's always a bounce or at least a moment of stability in the middle of all the big trends. So there's no big surprise about that. Mm. But yeah, I think coming into the end of the year, I think volatility comes back. Yeah, I think that's the real answer. Every time you've seen ultra low volatility, particularly in euro dollar over the course of the last decade and a half and I'm thinking particularly 2007 2014 six to nine, nine months later you've got an astonishing spike in volatility and we saw back to those lows again just last week so I'm not saying we're, we're going to take off straight away but I wouldn't be surprised in late this year early next year volatility comes back with a vengeance because that's always happens a stormy time ahead. My thanks to Simon Derrick at BNY Mellon. We'll be back next week. My guess, I suppose, is that the pound is going to continue to be top of mind in FX. Keep up to date with all the FX news on ft.com forward slash markets. But until next week, it's goodbye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our FT News podcasts, which focus on one of the main issues of the day and bring you the insights and expertise of our global network of journalists, as well as outside contributors. You can download these at ft.com slash podcasts most days of the week. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.